How many people are happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. You know what? Give yourself a high five. You're in the presence of God. Amen. You came to the house of the Lord. Somebody else is golfing somewhere, watching Netflix, but you came to the house of God. Amen. So give yourself a hand. Give God some praise. Amen. You see, um, some preachers, um, when you look at them, you think that they're perfect. They never did anything wrong in their life. And you look at them from a high pedestal. Right? That godly man is so high, is so perfect. Um, but I want you to know that that's not me. It's definitely not me. If I stand before you today, it's because of one thing and one thing alone, and that is the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. It's nothing, it's not, nothing special. Uh, it's, it's the grace of God. Now, I do believe God gave me several gifts. He gave me a gift for languages. I can speak to you in English. That's not my first language. My first language is French. Uh, let's do a little French. Say allo. Say oui, oui, pipi. Amen. All right. So that's a little French. That's your French for today. Uh, and, and, and it's a little rusty, but I can do a little Creole. Sac passé. Right, but we not we not we not we not no pas because we're going to heaven. So you know, can't be all right. Um, when I went to Mexico, I learned Spanish, and when I would talk on the phone to someone, and they would ask me where I'm from, I would say, "Where do you think I'm from?" And they would think that I was. They said, nah, "I don't know. You're from Mexico, right?" So at that point, I was able to speak Spanish so well that you thought that I was a native Mexican, right? Um, I'm not saying this to brag, but so that you understand that it's the grace of God. When I was 12 years old, I flunked French. I flunked French. And you're like, dude, that's your first language. How do you flunk French? You know, you're in middle school. By the way, my family is not there. That's why I can share. My kids won't know. PJ, you can't tell DJ. Don't, don't snitch. And, and so I flunked French. And so that year I had to do summer school. I had to do summer school, and my parents did something I never thought they would do. They gave me a choice. They said, Dave, you can go to summer school, or you can come with us on a road trip from Montreal to Vancouver. That's like from New York to L.A., right? It's a cross country. It's going to be a three-week trip because the first son of our pastor was getting married in Vancouver. And, and so five cars before the days of cell phone were go on the road to Vancouver, and they did not know what to do, right? Because they had to go because they were part of the whole organization. So they gave me the choice. They said, you can stay here and live with your uncle for the three weeks, or you can come with us. What do you guys think I did? Amen. <laughs> like, I ain't going to school. I went on the trip. Right? It's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. I went, and kids don't imitate me, but I don't regret it. I had the time of my life on that trip. I'm not saying, children, you should do that. And so we went on the trip. And as I was 12, we had a great time. On the way back, there was some drama going on, right? And so they said, Dave, we need you to ride with that other couple. 
right? So they changed the makeup of the cars, or they had me ride with a couple. Um, their name is Riza and Gerard. And so we did the whole trip. So they became like, I was 12 years old, so they became like parents to me, right? And over the years, they've been a blessing in my life. Um, they moved here. They're the first of our group, if you want, that moved to Florida. Every time we would come, they would receive us, and, and we created a bond. Last week, I officiated the funeral of Gérard. Gérard was 95 years old, humble, kind man that exemplified what it is to be like Christ. And it was a very small funeral. And the um, the family, when they were giving their testimonies or, or their, their remembrance of the loved one, it was the little things in his life that marked them, right? Uh, uh, that made him. And, and it was a live representation of what it means to be Christ-like. He was kind, he was generous, he was wise, and he lived till 95 years old. But even 95 years old felt a little short. And I looked at the family and I was like, you know what? I am sure they would want an extra five years of healthy life. And I compare that to another man um, great in his own sense. His name is John Sonny Francisi. And John Francisi was a legendary mobster. He was a legendary mobster that died not too long ago. He lied in, on February 24, 2020. And from 1963, he was one of the underboss of the mafia in New York, right? And he was, you know, living large and going to nightclubs and living it up with the likes of Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, and the, that big New York mobster life. But in 1967, he was sentenced to 50 years in prison for bank robbery. So he was doing bank robbery all over the country. And they got him for 50 years in jail. Over those 50 years, he was paroled six times. But every time he would break his parole. And what the feds were trying to do, they were trying to get him to turn on the other mobsters, right? So they were trying to get, you say, dude, you got 50 years. If you snitch, we'll reduce your sentence. Well, guess what? He never snitched. He was a true blue mobster. And the mobsters, they have this oath that they take. It's called Omerda. It's a blood oath that you're going to be true to the cause no matter what. And his claim to fame is that he is the oldest inmate in U.S. detention. He was there until he was a 100 years old. He was the only centenarian in U.S. custody. And then they let him go in 2017, and he died three years later at the age of 103. Johnny Sonny Francisi was a great man. Unfortunately, he was great at the wrong thing. And between the two lives, that of my friend Gerard or his, I would take Gerard's life any day. Please open my, your Bibles with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we conclude our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, the search for meaning, right? Where, where we went over the past few weeks 
through the books and we saw the um, accomplishments of Solomon. And now it all comes down to this, the meaning of life. If you follow with me, we're going to read chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes from verse 1 to verse 14. It goes like this. I please stand for the reading of the word as it is customary. It says, so Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 to 14. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return to after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the street, when the almond trees blossoms and the, great, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust of, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher Wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and he wrote was what, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like golds. They, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son of adding anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen. You may be seated. Touch your neighbor and say, fear God and keep his commandments. And so, at the end of this matter that we're studying, Ecclesiastes ends the book and says, remember me. So I want to talk to you today about remembering him and, and to guide us through our passage today we're going to use the acronym man up man up now it's not a study on manliness we'll keep that for the men's conference coming later this year but this will guide us in our passage man up and it starts on verse one he says remember your creator in the days of your youth 
right? So he, he concludes the last words. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. When we talk about remembrance, when we talk about remember, we talk about a function of the mind, right? We talk about a function of your intelligence. One of the most cruel diseases that you can have is Alzheimer's, right? Because with Alzheimer's, you don't have the capacity to remember anymore. So now you have your, your, your loved ones coming to you, but you don't know who they are. Can you imagine your parents raised you? They, 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 they fed you. They, they did everything for you to grow. Now you're a grown person and you come in front of your mom and she looks at you and she says, who are you? Say, mom, I'm your son or mom, I'm your daughter. And it's a very cruel. If you do not have your memories, then what do you have? Well, in a sense, you are today the accumulation of your memories. So the first item in remembering your creator is to apply your mind to put him into focus. It's to apply your mind into, to, to put it into focus. Like when you look at the definition of that word remember in the Hebrew, it, it, it has, a, it's a whole long definition, but we're going to summarize it in, in, in one phrase, which is to recall and especially keep in mind, right? It's to keep in mind the creator. And what we found during COVID, right? Uh, when the, before COVID, the church was packed, like it was packed. You couldn't find any seats, but then after COVID, the church was empty. And what you find is that people forgot about God. It, it, it is a lot of people did not keep God in the center. Now, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter eight, verse 18 to 20, God gives the people and says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to, to your fathers as it is this day, as remember the Lord, right? And since then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nation which the Lord destroys before you, you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And so to remember the Lord is to put him at the center. But he says, when you are wealthy, when you are able to accomplish things, don't say my strength is what allowed me to do this. Rather, remember the Lord that he's the one that gave you the capacity to do it. And so remembering the Lord means to be dependent upon the Lord. In our American mindset, we like to live with independence from God. We like to do what we like to do, right? And how many times we make plans and then we bring our plans to God for him to bless them, but there are plans. 
How many times we're self-reliant and we could do whatever we want to do or, or we're so smart. But he says, remember the Lord. And when you are wealthy, when you are healthy, when you have capacity, remember that that is from the Lord. Now, we live in a generation that has forgotten about God. We live in a generation that has forgotten about God. And I personally fear for that second part of the verse where he says that if by any means you forget the Lord your God and follow unto other gods. Now, I want you to replace the word gods by priorities where now we don't necessarily go and worship a Buddha idol or whatever. But we do have other priorities that take uh, priority over God and those then become gods and he says if you follow after other gods and serve them and worship them I testify against you that you will surely perish now when you look at this country who do you think they worship does it look like they're worshiping Jesus Christ so that makes me very afraid for this for this generation so remembering God means to have an attitude of the Dependence on God. Number two, in Chronicles 16, 114, it says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone in Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. In other words, he gave him Chick-fil-A. That's Chick-fil-A right there, right? They were open on Sundays back in the day. If they were open today, we would give you some, but they're closed. So don't blame us, right? But then look at verse 4. He says, and he appointed some Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. To remember the creator is to have that attitude of gratitude. It's to remember to come and give him praise. And I commend you today for coming in the house of God to give him praise and give him worship. To give him the praise and give him the glory and give him the worship. Yes, you might be going through something, but I'm still going to take time to praise the Lord. You know, you know, like it's funny because when you guys need worship, thank you for leading worship. And you look at the people and you're concerned if they worship or not. I'm going to make a confession. I ain't worried. I ain't concerned because I'm not here to worship you. I'm here to worship God. And me, every time I come in the house of the Lord, I will praise my God no matter what. No matter what, I will praise the Lord because the Lord has done so many things for me that I cannot be quiet. I have to praise the name of the Lord. I have to praise his name. I have to praise his name. And to remember the creator is to come and say, you know what, God, everything is not perfect. Everything is not fine. But I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to give you praise because I know you're on the throne. I'm going to give you praise because I know you're in control. I'm going to give you praise because you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords and you deserve all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. No matter what. You know, it's back in the day, my old church, people weren't praising. Like everybody's like, nah, 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 nah. And I was talking to my homie and I said, dude, they're not praising. And he said, you know what? It don't matter if they don't praise. You praise your God. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise my God. And remembering 
the creator is to have that attitude of gratitude to say, come, I belong to you. And he says, remember your creator. Now understand this is when you have a piece of art. How many people know God is an artist? When you have a piece of art, you see the character of the artist through his art. You see the heart of the artist in his art, right? So if you go Picasso, you're going to find it a certain way. If you go in Monet, it's going to be a certain way. If you listen to a singer, she's going to sing a certain way. Now, okay, I know maybe you're not into art, so let me use an example that you understand. You know, cars are a piece of workmanship, right? Cars are a piece of art in a sense, right? And let me give you a tip. If you're ever driving, right, and you have to visit a Haitian church, you ever like you go to a French church and you're not sure because, you know, the GPS is not exact, you know how you know you're at a Haitian church? The parking lot is full of Toyotas. When you get to the parking lot and they're full of Toyotas, you know you're in a Haitian church. Why? Because Haitians are smart. Haitians don't like to go to the mechanic. Haitians ain't got time. They ain't got money to go and spend at the mechanic. So they buy the most reliable car. And if you look at the those service or whatever, Toyota comes number one. Now, it's not a promotion for Toyota. We don't endorse any product, but that's just a fact. And guess who's number two? No, Lexus, which is a Toyota brand. Amen. And so... Back in the 60s, one of the leaders of the Toyota, Mr. Toyota with a D, came to America and he saw the plant, the Ford plant. And back then, Toyota was a small company and they were doing 2,500 vehicles a year. He went to the Ford plant and Ford, they were pumping out 8,000 vehicles a day. But he's like, whoa, so we have to step it up. So, But he said, you know what? We're not going to step it up the way they step it up. We're going to step it up, but we're going to step it up with quality. So it was not enough for them to have quantity, but they also had quality. And that was the outset back in the 1960s. And that mindset now transfers to the car's where they're done today. It doesn't matter where they're done. They have Toyota plants here or Toyota plants there. That, but the mentality of the architects of the company are viewed in their product. God is a great architect. God is the creator. And I want to tell you, God's greatest product in his architect. So you have the mountains that are beautiful. You have the trees and you can see the heart of God like he's majestic. When you look at the night sky and you can't see it in the city. But when you go in the countryside, you see all the stars. You see God is, is a majestic God. You look at the mountains. He's a powerful God. You hear the thunder and the, and the, the lightning and all of that stuff, right? Um, the the, the tornadoes like it's so powerful but then you eat a mango God is love amen you eat a nice pineapple so God is a he's a nurturing God he's a he's a he's a loving God and he did all of that you look at the lions and the elephant and, and all of those animals but his greatest piece of work you know what it is it's you It's you. 
In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. And I know you guys are Haitian, so let me give you a psalm. Haitians like psalm. He says, Psalm 139, he says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know it full well. So maybe you don't know it today, but God's work, which is you, is wonderful. So touch your neighbor and say, you're wonderful. Now do it like you mean it. Say, you're wonderful. You're wonderful because you're made by God. So understand when he says, remember your creator, the creator is not, you know, like if I make a car, I don't have a relationship with the car. I'm, I'm here to sell it. But when it comes to God, he has a relationship with his creation. And that's what you see in nature. You see, we have everything that we need on earth. If God wanted, he could have created earth and make it a barren, almost you can't survive, kind of like what you see in the movies. No, but he made it plentiful. You know that there's enough resources on earth for everybody. Because God, in his creation, he wants relationship. God was, he says, Psalm 139, he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And when you look at the science and they try to figure out how a baby is born, it's very hard. Why? Because God is at work. When you were in your mother's womb, whoever you, God was at work in crafting you. And it's important that you realize that. Because keeping God in the center, what that means is now when you go through life, you don't go through life independent because you understand that you're created by God. You understand that God is involved in the most intimate aspects of your life. There is nothing that happened in your life that God is not involved in in that. So remember, is to put God in focus. But is it enough to put God in focus? My wife is not here, but my wife, a lot of times... She's very gracious and she does smoothies for us, for me to go to work, right? So she leaves before I leave and then she does a smoothie and then she'll text me, don't forget your smoothie. And guess what happens? It depends. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm in the car and I'm pulling out and oh, you turn, go get the smoothie. So now if she texts, did you remember your smoothie? If the smoothie's in my hand, I can say yes, regardless of if I left and came back. But sometimes you leave, and now you're five minutes from work, and you're like, boom, smoothie. Did you remember the smoothie? Well, I can't say, yes, I remembered it, but I was at work. Even though it came to mind when I was at work, it's not in my hands. So guess what? It's forgotten. And so remember the creator is not enough to have him in your mind. You also have to act on it. You have to act according to your remembrance of God. You know, you cannot just put him in mind and then you go and you live your life the way you want to live your life. Remember your creator means every step that you take is taken in light of what the creator wants. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So act on it. If we jump to verse 9 of, of that same chapter, he says, not only was the teacher wise, which relates to the mind, so he was studying and, 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 and applying his mind. He says, the second part says, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order in order, many, many proverbs. So 
He not only was wise, but then his wisdom was transferred into action where he now was teaching other people how to be wise. And, and so my call to you is to act on it. It's not only enough to come and receive. You have to take what you receive and you have to put it into action. And actually, James tells us in chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So it is not enough to only read the word. You have to read the word. It's not only enough to come to church. You do have to come to church. You do have to get the word. But that word has to have an impact on your life that brings you into action, right? It, it has to, 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 you have to act on it. It's not enough to be a reader of the word. You have to be a doer of the word. Can you imagine you go to work and your boss gives you an order and then after a while the boss comes back and he says, well, do you remember what I asked? You say, I remembered. Did you do it? Nope. What happens? You get fired, right? You don't only have to receive, but you also have to do. So you have to put, remember your creator is to put him at the center. Remember your creator is to act in a way that is that is according to his commandment. There's a controversy that happened, and I'm not going to name names, but a big Christian artist decided to hold an unbiblical wedding at her property. And she said, well, all the Bible says is love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But then another preacher got on there and said, yeah, and Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment, right? So I cannot say I love God if I don't also keep his commandment, if I don't put his commands at work. If we look at Jesus's life, Jesus was a man of action. Can you imagine if Jesus came and he only he only spoke? But he wasn't only speaking, he was healing the sick. He wasn't only speaking, he was feeding the hungry. He wasn't only speaking, he was raising the dead and bringing them back to life. And then he empowered his disciples to go and do the same. So understand that God is calling us to action. Now, as much as I am encouraging to be a person of action and to, to, to take action as you remember God, sometimes, sometimes, and now we go to verse two and verse two, verse six, it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now the days of your youth, I want you to understand this as the days of your capacity, meaning the days that you're able to act. So you might be 15 year old, you're a young person. You might be 45 years old. You're able, you're still a young person. You might be 65 if you're able, you're able, and, and I'm all for being action. But guess what it says? Second party says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure with them. And, and what we found when I was at the funeral is the days of trouble, they come for all of us. At a certain point in your life, you're going to have the days of trouble. And so 
You remember God in action while you can act. But the question now becomes, what do you do when you cannot act? What do you do when, 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 when everything around you falls apart? So he, he, he continues in, um, verse two. He says, so remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure with them. And then he starts describing the decaying body. He says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble, what's the keepers of the house? It's your arms. You, you, now you become frail. And then he says, and the strong men's tubes, those are the legs. When the legs fail, when the grinders Cease because they are few. It's your teeth. Now you ever see sometimes old people, they have to work because the teeth now are, are falling off. And those looking through the windows grow dim. The eyes, now you can't see as much. Eventually you gotta wear glasses. When the doors of the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, right? So now the sound of we can't hear, now the hearing, and you see the, the body is decaying. Now you can, I believe, I'm one, I believe you can push it. You can push it, right? There's some stuff that you don't control. You don't control your genes. Her blood pressure maybe runs in the family. You don't control your genes. You don't control your life events, right? You don't control if, God forbid, you get into a car accident. You don't control by diagnostics, right? You go to the doctor and they say, doctor, I don't feel good. And doctor says, okay, we ran some tests and here's, we found that you have, it's a, well, it go like, some fancy word term that you don't understand. You know, when you go to the doctors, you don't want to hear those fancy words that you don't understand. Because the more complicated the word, the bad, the worse the disease. You go and it starts talking like all that Greek Latin. It means, and as I was saying, there's a disease, I forget how it's called. It's one of those fancy words. And it's, and it's, um, the muscle tissue and the tendons that convert themselves into bones. It's the only sickness where tissue changes their purpose. So imagine, you know, you know, your body, you have your, 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 your skin, your flesh, your tendons, I put it. Imagine they all become bone. It's very disabilitating. It's very weakening. Imagine you go to the doctor and that's what you get. You're like, nah, doctor, I don't want that. Can, can you take it back? Give me another one. Do you have anything in the D's like dehydration? Right? I can take dehydration and you, you, you know, drink water. Um, or I'll take vitamin D maybe deficiency. I can go. I remember one time I was living in Montreal. I came here to visit and I saw this guy. He had, um, psoriasis. Psoriasis is a skin disease and the doctor prescribed him to go to Florida for the beach. How many people, that's what you want, amen. I want a prescription to go to Hawaii, amen. So we don't like, but you don't, you don't control that. What you do control is what you eat. That's 80% of your health is what you eat. What you do control is if you exercise your body. You can't control that. And if exercise was a pill, it would cure 80% of all diseases. How many people exercise? Let me see your hand. Oh, get, get exercising. If you want to be healthy, eat right, exercise, but then exercise your mind. Like learn something new. Like learn, uh, 
The mind, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's the human body. If you don't use it, you lose it. Exercise, learn a language. Learn, learn, learn Swahili so you can come with us to, to Kenya next, this year, right? Amen. Shameless plug. And then sleep. That's, that's what you can control. But eventually the days of trouble come. And what do you do when everything falls apart? What do you do when you try to go left? It doesn't work. You got to go right and it's right. You cannot do anything. And in that moment, you have to nurture. Actually, now you have to nurture your relationship with God so that when you go in the days of trouble, you know where your refuge is. The days of trouble comes for all of us. We don't control when they come, but we control how we behave in them. And so the decaying body is not only the decaying body, it's also the decaying mind. If we go to the second part of verse 4, he says, when the people rise up at the sound of the birds, when when everything around you is falling apart, guess what? Now you have insomnia, you can't sleep. Anybody you ever had in your life a situation where kept you up at night? Only PJ? Situation you can't sleep. Right? So now your body's fine, but it's your mind now that's not fine. He says, uh, but all their songs grow faint. You now you don't appreciate life because you have something that's hanging over your head. When people are afraid of heights and the dangers of in the street, they're fearful of life. Um, it's when the almond tree blossom. Now this, the sign of aging is wearing on you. When the grasshopper drags itself along weakness, yourself along. Now the grasshopper is known to be very active, but now there's no more energy. Now, now you don't. You ever have a, your body's fine, but you don't have the energy because of what's weighing on you. You don't have energy. You 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 drag yourself through life. Nothing's wrong with your body. Your muscles they work fine, but you're dragging yourself through life because the the body's fine, but now it's the mind that's decaying. There's no more passion for life. Then the people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. The great passing. What do you do when everything falls apart? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when all the doors, you feel all the doors are locked, you're stuck and you cannot do anything. And that is when you go back to your, to your resource, right? God is the source and the resource. Now, when everything is going fine, that's when you build your arsenal. Can you imagine now, you know, we hear around the world, the, 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 the signs of war. You don't build the weapon. When you're being attacked, you build the weapons before you're getting attacked so that when the war comes, you have something to fight with. So now when everything is good, that's when you build your arsenal so that when everything falls apart, you can pull from the word and defend yourself against what it is. You look at, for instance, Romans chapter 8. If you fall into sin and, and the devil comes to you and tells you and tries to condemn you, what do you do? Well, you pull Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from Christ 
free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. You cannot be condemned. Sometimes maybe you have self-doubt. You go to chapter verse 15 and 16. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. For you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness to with our spirits that we are children of God. Understand sometimes maybe you have doubt that you, you don't think God is on your side. If you understand scripture, if you understand God, then you go in God's presence and the Holy Spirit himself now comes and ministers to you and says you yes when you're my child yes Eli you're my child yes you belong to me yes I died for you on the cross yes you're still with yes you messed up and that's that ain't right but I'm still with you I still died for you I still save you you're still mine do not doubt and now you get that assurance why because you you dug in the word Romans chapter 8 15 says Abba father means dear father it means in Creole you would say Papi. That's the relationship that God has with us. So when you're going through the valley of shadow of death, you don't have to fear because your dad is with you. If you have sin, it's verse 1 and 2. If you have self-doubt, verse 15, 16. If you have sufferings, right? And, and, and let me tell you, the one thing that unites all mankind is suffering. It's suffering. Anybody here, you never suffered in your life? Let me see your hand if you ever suffered. If you suffered anything. And Paul is one that suffered a lot. And what Paul said in, in, in verse 18, he says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. Understanding that this is not your home. This is not your, your final state. This is a layover, right? When you have a trip, you go on a destination. You're not too worried about the state of the airport where you have the layover because it's not your final destination. Your final destination is that paradise that you're aiming for. If you're going to Bora Bora, you're not worried worried about the layover in Berlin, Germany, right? You're worried about the destination. You're worried about where you're going. And this is not our home. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. So we're going to have suffering. But Paul, who saw the set, the third heaven, he says, you can't compare the two. It's not comparable. And when you're surrounded about all sides, it says, verse 35, 37, 39, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? No, in all these things. So in the tribulation, in the famine, in the nakedness, when you don't have money, when you don't have friends, when you don't have anything, where everybody turns on this, he says, no, that will not separate you from the love of Christ because it says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, no depths, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is it. When everything falls apart, what you have left is the love of God. And and I'll make a confession. I didn't read the program you sent. I apologize. So I did not know you chose Romans 8 to read. I did not know, right? I put it, and, and I put this as an added. I was done as I said, let me add that in. And I think it's because somebody needs to hear that today. Is that no matter what you do, no matter what you're going through, nothing will separate you from the love of God. You know, sometimes you can run, and you can run, and you can run, but you can't hide. David says, if I go down even in hell, you're there, you find me. If I try to go left, you're there. If I try to go right, you're there. You cannot run from the love of God. As somebody here, 
God is calling you for his love. And there's nothing like the love of God. And sometimes everything falls apart. The money's not right. Everybody abandons you. You're by yourself, but God is there because you cannot be separated from the love of God. So you invest in your mind. You, 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 you act. You nurture the relationship, but then you need to untether from this world. Untether, big word meaning to detach yourself from this world. You see, we're in, I don't know if you know, but we're in the end time. We're in the end time. If you take time to studying the uh, revelation, it tells you, you have the four horsemen. One is the horse of plague. What happened in 2020? A COVID. One is the one of, of war and what's going on in Ukraine. War. And, 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 and it's escalating, right? People are talking now, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but they're talking about World War Three. Actually, last year, the president and said, if we're not sending tanks to Ukraine, if we send tanks to Ukraine, it's World War III. What they do this week? They send tanks to Ukraine. Now, if everything happens, if everything blows up, this world is going down. You have plague, you have war, the economy. How, how's, how's, your, how's your money running? How's your money going? Anybody ball in here? It, it, it's all going down. But guess what? That was announced. So you need to untether yourself. You need, you know, and it says, um, there's going to be a mark. And they're going to put a mark on your hand and a mark in your forehead. And you look in the technology, there's companies, guess what they're working on? A chip to put in your hand. There's a company, you put a chip and then you can go to the, to the, and you, you pay with the chip that is in your hand. And there's a guy out there, you might have heard his name, Elon Musk, what he wants to do. He wants to put a chip in your head. He has a company called Neuralink, right? And he wants to put a chip in your head. The technology, everything is in place for that to happen. But the key here is not the technology. The technology is neutral. The key is what you need to do to get the technology. And the Bible says that you're going to have to worship the beast, right? You're going to have to worship the beast. But what is worship? Worship is to bow down. Worship is to give more worth to, right? So when we worship God, we give him more worth. We give him the worth. But now how many people then, you don't need technology. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're already worshiping the beast because you give more worth to the things of this world than to the things of God. You need to untether from this world, but not completely. Because guess what? The world needs you more than you need it. So I'm not calling you to go and be like excluded in in a ranch and hiding. You have to be in the world because the world needs you more than you need it. You understand that, right? Let let me give you an example. How many kids we have here? PJ, you here? Lily, wake up. Let me give you guys a choice. On Friday, we're going to have the children activity. If you want candy, raise your hand. You don't want any candy? If you want broccoli, raise your hand. Oh man, we got some good kids, man. They guys messed up my example. Well, most kids will choose the candy over the broccoli. But what do they need more? They need the broccoli. Guess what? You're the broccoli. The world, don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a confession for you. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, 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 to offend you. They don't like you. The world don't like you, but they need you. The world doesn't like you. You know why they don't like you? Because they don't like the one who sent you, but they need you. And what they need is not a cruciferous vegetable. It's a crucified Messiah. And that's who you represent. You represent the crucified Messiah. And so they need you. And so Romans says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve God's will, which is good and pleasing, perfect will. And for the sake of time, we're going to jump to the last part. It says, prepare the meeting. So you untether from the world, but you understand that you are in this world to impact. And then in the end, you have to prepare for the meeting. One of my favorite quotes from the movies and I think Pastor Perry shares that quote, is Men on Fire, Denzel Washington, where she's a bodyguard and the criminals kidnap the girl and he's trying to find the girl. And so at one point he's perched on top of a church and the priest is here and he's about to shoot down someone. And the priest says, Pero Dios nos pide que perdonar. Dios is asking us to forgive. And Denzel goes, forgiveness is between them and God. 
My job is to arrange the meeting. Now, we're not advocating violence, but prepare the meeting. Look what he says at the end of the chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. He says, now all has been heard. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandment. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. The things that you're doing that you think nobody knows, God knows. The bad thing and the good things. The bad thing that you think that you got away with, it's coming back. And guess what? The good things that you're like, oh, I did this great thing and nobody saw me. Nobody acknowledged me. But guess what? God saw you and God will acknowledge it. When time comes, it's coming back. It's coming to say, yeah, brother, so-and-so, I saw you when you did that and nobody said, but I'm, and actually it is, I believe it's better for you if they don't do nothing, if they don't say nothing. Why? Because then God feels like he got to do something for you. If man does something for you, God says, okay, you're good. You got taken care of. So between man or God, I want a God. I want God to have my back. I want God to cover. There's some blessing that happen in your life that you cannot explain. Why? Because it's God having your back. It's God having your back. And so all these things are all coming back. All these things are going, they're going to happen. Here's what he says, and we're going to close with Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, 15. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on the throne, the earth and the heaven fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. When you talk to someone that says that there's no hell, that you're, no, 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 there is a hell and it's going to happen and this is it. You have heaven and you have hell and eventually everybody on earth, everybody past, everybody present, everybody future, all are going to stand in front of the great throne of Christ and they're going to have to answer for what they did. So how do you prepare for the, for the meeting? Number one, you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't have Christ, you don't have nothing. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. I don't care how spiritual you are. There is no salvation in no one else other than Jesus Christ. So you need to give your life to Christ. But if you have Christ, how you prepare for the meeting, you need to pick a fight. You need to pick a fight. You need to get up. And, and the thing is, we're at war. And the tools of the war, your weapon is whatever gift God has given you is your weapon to fight the war. We're in a war that brings life. I am forever grateful to the worship team. Why? Because when COVID came and everybody, boom, everybody jet, everybody's hiding. And we went from doing two services a year. A, a month to going every week and me I'm like Jesus I belong to you I don't care no matter what happens I'm here if I have to lead worship and preach I'm gonna be here but then them boys says you know what we're gonna come and we're gonna fight and they pick the fight and while times were the darkest every week after week after week preach sing preach so that light can go inside to you too to the light Fighting every brother Wayne, brother Wayne come from Orlando. Say, brother Dave, I'm on my way. Boom! Oh, I go to candle, and after candle comes to redemption. 
Fighting week after week after week after week after week fighting when everybody's hiding, when everybody is afraid. But that was three years ago. This is now. Now is your time to fight. You need to stop sitting on your hands and get up and fight because eventually people are going to die. They're going to hell or they're going to heaven. And while you're sitting on your two hands, you need to stop sitting on your hands and get up and fight. If you learn music, learn music and lead worship. If you learn, you know how to read, you know how to teach, come and teach your word. If you go with your hands, but do something and fight because we're in a fight for our lives. And I'm straight, I'm safe, but I'm not going to stop fighting. You know me and my homeboys back in the day, we had a saying, it was called um, Hell Depopulation Project. Translated. Meaning, our life now is we have to make hell empty. We have to bring people to heaven. This is the highest call. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. In a dying world, you need people that are willing to fight. We cannot backtrack. The society is going, they're going crazy. But guess what? They still need us. They still need us to fight. You see, I'm going to finish with this example. In the, um, the guy I used in the beginning, John Francisi, one of the greatest mobster. He lived till 103. He had a son, Michael. And Michael, when the dad got arrested, Michael left medical school and started taking care of the family business. And he was a big mobster. And he made hundreds of millions of dollars in his mob scheme. And Forbes magazine had him of the top 50 mobsters. He was number 18. And he was doing business. But one day he was doing a movie. He's on a movie set and he met a girl. There's always a girl. He met a girl. She was a Christian. And he fell in love with her. And his love for her became more than his love for his father and the mob. And then so she, um, he started having a relationship with her. And he met his mom, her mom. And now he's conflicted because he loves that girl and her life as a Christian is in contradiction to his life as a mobster. And and, 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 and things happen and she he gets arrested. He gets arrested. Long story short, he's in solitary confinement. And because he's a mobster, they can't put him in the yard because he's going to get killed because now there's a contract on his life because he left the mob. So he's in jail. He don't know what to do. And guess what? A guard comes and gives him a Bible. And he takes the Bible and slams it against the wall he does it but guess what he's alone so he starts reading the bible he reads the other book by solomon proverbs and over the next three years that's the only thing he got is the bible because he's in the cell by himself and the only thing he got now is god and he says god you know i trusted my father that didn't work well i trusted the the mob that didn't work well I'm not ready to give you your, my life now. You're going to have to show me. And over the next three years, God showed him that he loved. And when he got out of jail, he got out of born again Christian. Why? Because the blood of Jesus still saves today. You know who's the real hero though? The real hero was the mother-in-law. Because when he came, the mother-in-law said, she was a, she was simple. She was a prayer warrior. And she says, you know what? I see you preaching the gospel to millions of people. The girlfriend at the time, she was a girlfriend. She's like, no, no, mom, mom, don't scare him. Don't scare him. I just trying to get him to come to Bible study. I'm just trying to get him to come to church. And she answers, she says, why would you limit the power of God in that man's life? Why would you limit the power of God in that man's life? And guess what he's doing today? Preaching in front of millions of people. We serve a God that is powerful today because the blood of Jesus still saves. So my question for you is, why would you limit the power of God in your life? Pick a fight. Fight for Jesus. Because at the end, that's all you got. God bless you.